Well, good morning. It is a, uh, a pleasure to be back uh, with, uh, with my Lamb of God family this morning. Uh, after being away for, for kind of what felt like a, a really long stretch of time, even, uh, even though it wasn't really that super long, but uh, missing back-to-back Sundays with being with our youth and then being away from my younger brother's wedding, it, it just feels like it's been so long since, since I've seen, uh, seen so many of you. Uh, so it is a, a joy to be back. Um, as we continue on in our, uh, our series on, on Romans uh, over the summer, uh, we come to, uh, to Romans chapter 10. Um, and, and as I was reading through this text, it, it made me think of, of something that we do in worship uh, week in and, and week out uh, that, that maybe we, we just kind of forget about. Um, that there's something that we do that actually some, and, and I say some, Uh, And by that I mean uh, not many, uh, but some here and there throughout the history of the church uh, have been a tad critical of from time to time. And and in fact, we do it so often in in worship that that you may not even think about it. Uh, It it may be just something that that you kind of just breeze through and and don't really give much of a thought to. But it's that fact that we gather each week and we confess our faith in the creeds. Uh, every single week we, we get together, we, we confess uh, one of the, the historic creeds of our faith as, as a central part uh, of our worship as God's people. And, and like I said, uh, some, not, not many, not most of, of the church ha- have been critical of this practice from time to time. Uh, perhaps you've, you've heard it said something like this. You've maybe said, you know, I really just think that, that religion shouldn't be about creeds, should be about deeds, right? That, 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 that religion should be about deeds and, and not creeds. Now, now this is, is kind of a, a fringe view a little bit, but, uh, but some have held to this. And now never mind the fact that this statement of deeds and not creeds is sort of a creedal statement in nature. I'll leave that alone for now. But the thinking behind this statement is clear. That, that, that religion and, and our faith in general, it shouldn't be about getting our doctrine straight. It shouldn't be about these things that, that can maybe divide. Uh, but rather, our religion should simply be about acts of love, acts of, of service, doing good. It should be about what we do. It should be about our actions and not our words. Now, now I will confess that I, that I think that sometimes this sort of thinking, that, that religion and our faith should be about deeds and, and not creeds, it's a reaction to something that is a legitimate problem in the church from time to time. That at times people have seen Christians and, and seen churches that, that are solely concerned about getting doctrine straight and, and winning arguments and, and keeping people out that we forget Christ's call to love, to, to serve our neighbor, to, to care for the hurting and the poor. And, and so there's this tendency to, to say, you know what, we're just going to do away with creeds and statements of faith altogether. That, that when we read the words of Jesus, he seems to be more concerned with, with loving our neighbor, with, with caring for the needy. That, that the religion that Jesus calls us to is not about creeds, it's about deeds. 
But you see, I think to go this far is to sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. It, it is to, to pit two things against one another that really ought not be so. It shouldn't be about deeds versus creeds. It should be about deeds and, and lives that, that flow from our creeds and from our faith. Because you see, our faith, the Christian faith, it is not about just some sort of general way of love that we're called to live, but it is about the person and work of Jesus. It is about lives oriented around Him, His life, His death, His resurrection. And throughout the scriptures, we see this call to confess our faith, to confess a a creedal form of faith. It goes back, way back to the Old Testament, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Right? There's this call to remember that statement of faith. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I delivered to you of first importance that which was handed to me, and he goes on to, to write and speak essentially what we confess every week when we confess the apostles and the Nicene Creed. And, and among those is what we read in Romans chapter 10 this morning when Paul says, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, when we gather together as as God's people and we make confession of our faith, this is not just a practice that we sort of made up to kind of keep people out or or to pat ourselves on the back or or, or to, to avoid Christ's call to love, but it is a practice of our faith that, that is a way of saying, look, do you want to be certain of God's rescue? Do you want to be certain of His love for you? Do you want to be certain of His desire to redeem you? Then, then look here. Because you see, throughout the Scriptures, there is something that, that is made very clear. And it is this truth that all of humanity is in need of rescue. All of humanity is in need of rescue, is in need of saving, is in need of some kind of salvation. And I don't think it's just the scriptures that make this clear. I think most of us, we look for rescue in all kinds of places. The entire world is looking for rescue in one place or another. And I don't think we have to look very hard to see where this is true. Every time an election comes up, people are looking to to a leader, looking to people to employ the right tactics and policies that will save us. Every advertisement we see is, is marketing us some sort of product or service. Right? Every, every new thing that Apple releases is promising some kind of salvation or rescue. That, that will make your life whole in a way that it never was before. Or, or we look to, to our, our leisure time and, and our hobbies to, to rescue us from, from the monotony and, and, and hard work and, and enslavement to, to production. Or we look to these things for, for a form of, of rescue. 
We look for it in all kinds of places, and, and rarely do we ever seem to be able to find it, but everyone is looking for rescue. And the truth that the Scriptures invite us to come and discover is ultimately the thing that we need rescue from, both as, as individuals and also collectively as humanity. What we need rescue from is our sin and our brokenness, We need rescue from from our disobedience to God that has corrupted all of creation. That the entire world is in need of rescue from this. And, And when Paul writes this letter, when he writes chapter 10, he's calling us to ask ourselves, where are you going to look for that rescue? Are you going to look to yourself? Are you going to look to what to what you can accomplish? To what you can acquire? Are you going to look to your deeds? Are you going to look to to products and and, and earthly leaders to bring you that rescue? Because if we look to those things, the scriptures are abundantly clear, both in Romans and, and throughout the pages of our Bibles, we see very clearly that if we are looking to ourselves and our deeds and what we can do, then no one will receive that rescue. And so Paul invites us here to look elsewhere for that rescue. Look look not to yourself, not to your actions, not to this righteousness that you can accomplish on your own. Rather, look no further than Jesus. And and that practice of of confessing the creeds is, is a way of reminding ourselves where we can discover that rescue. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... If you speak that truth, that Christ is Lord over all things, not not earthly rulers and authorities, but Christ is Lord over all. And if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the promise that is made to you in Scripture is clear and simple. You will be saved. God, God will not abandon you. The place to find freedom and rescue from your sin and your brokenness is Jesus. And if anyone would argue that, that it really just can't be that simple, well, it's not just me they're arguing with. It's not just Lutherans that they're arguing with. It's the entire pages of Scripture that they're arguing with. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, God promises you that you will be saved. But I think it's also worth noticing that, that although it, it is that simple, that this does not mean that we are called to just sit idly by and do nothing. That we are not called to, to abandon love and service. The, the truth that, that salvation and, and rescue comes through Christ alone it is not cause to, to ignore your neighbor. To ignore the hurting and, and the needy. Because notice that, that Paul doesn't just say, believe in your heart. That, that true, genuine faith is not some private religious experience solely between me and Jesus. 
But Paul also says, confess with your mouth, presumably so others can hear you. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You see, our confession of faith, our creed, is clearly a call to go. To go and and to make that truth known to the world. See, where Paul focuses in in chapter 10 and in those first several verses, he focuses in that first half on, on how we can be certain of where we find rescue. Confess and believe, and it's simple. But then in the second half, he shifts, and then he says, if it's that simple, how is the world going to come to know that truth unless we go to them? Right? How will they hear? How will they hear this truth that we have? You see, if we believe what we believe, we cannot simply keep this to ourselves. If we believe what we believe, if we believe that salvation is solely through Jesus, we can't withhold that from the world. If we believe that that true, lasting, eternal hope can be granted to to the hurting, to the needy, to the poor and forgotten of our world, how, how could we withhold that from them? If we believe, as Jesus says, that the gospel is that living water welling up in us into eternal life, would we not want to lead others to that same well that we've drank from? The gospel itself, it compels us to go and to share it. I think, in fact, uh, Martin Luther, he, he put it best when he said, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves never remains alone. In other words, when we are saved, we are solely saved by faith in that grace of God made known to Jesus, made known in Jesus. But when we are saved, when we make that confession of faith by the power of the Spirit, it will be accompanied by the works that the Spirit desires to do in us. The the Spirit sends us out into the world to go and and live in lives of, of love and compassion for our neighbor. The Spirit sends us into our vocation to be of service to the world and to make Christ known in those places that He has put us. We are saved by faith alone, but we are also sent by that faith into the world to make it known. Our faith, that confession, our creed, it calls us to go. To go in deeds, to go in action, to go in love and service and to speak the gospel, to speak the good news so that the world might know it. Now, I remember when I was a a sophomore in high school, I I was on a a service trip uh, with my family that we attended with my church. We were in uh, in Tennessee, uh, kind of in... uh, in kind of that Appalachian country, doing some some service projects there. And admittedly, as as a 16-year-old, I really wasn't very interested in in being on that trip at all. Uh, But the one kind of saving grace is one of my best friends from high school. He was also on that trip, so I could kind of grin and bear it, and and at least I I was with him. But the thing that that continues to to stick with me uh, about that trip was One evening after uh, our group devotion at the end of the day, uh, an older woman from my church, she came up to me. 
Uh, she was there with, with her husband and their grandchildren, actually. And she came up to me afterwards, and, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, she said, you know, Marcus, I, I just really think that, that you, you should think about being a pastor. Now, now I don't remember uh, like what I said in response, but I remember kind of what I was thinking. And if my face said anything close to what I was thinking, it was just, what on earth are you talking about? I mean, I, I really didn't want to be on that trip. I hardly wanted much to do with my church. Well, why on earth would she suggest that, that, that I should think about being a pastor? That's not for someone like me. But admittedly, as, as odd as that statement was to me, it was something that just sort of kind of kept rattling around in my head during my teenage years. Something that kind of sort of kept calling me back to the faith. And I don't share that story as sort of this kind of endearing tale about how I was led to pastoral ministry. But the reason that I share that story and why I often will share that story with people is because the more I think about it, the more I speak with people and learn more about other people's journey in the faith, the more I recognize that that story isn't that unique. And I would imagine that every single person sitting here today and virtually every single person who has claimed the title child of God does so because of someone who courageously and lovingly and kindly shared their faith with you. I imagine that, that as I speak of it, you're, you're thinking of those people, you're thinking of those parents who brought you to be baptized who raised you in the faith. You're, you're thinking of that person who maybe introduced you to Jesus. You, you think of those, those people who took an interest in you, who, who, were care, who cared about your faith. You, you think of those pastors and teachers who, who formed you and shaped you and, and taught you the scriptures. You, you're thinking of those people that you can point to and say, wow, thank God for that person. Because God clearly used that person to draw me closer to himself, to, to keep me in his family. You, you maybe think, man, I don't know what my faith would look like if it wasn't for that person. And, and the fact of the matter is you may already be that person for someone else without even knowing it. Because God desires to use ordinary people like you and like me to make his salvation known to the world. To, to make that, that wellspring of eternal life known to those who are seeking rescue. Now, one of my favorite writers, uh, Timothy Keller, uh, he, he, says, he says this. He says, being public about your faith simply means not hiding the wellspring of your life, not hiding who you truly are. It means simply not hiding who you truly are. You see, in the gospel, when we were rescued by Jesus, we were granted this identity, and now everything that we are is centered around him. And that call to go and share that with the world that they too might hear is simply a call to be who you are now. 
Jesus doesn't demand that we be sort of spectacular. Jesus doesn't even demand that we be all that articulate. He simply asks us to be who we are now. To, To speak that faith that we've been given. Because every single person here it is a bearer of the Holy Spirit because of baptism and the gift of faith that they have received. And so every single person here is already a beautiful example of the rescue that God desires all people to receive. Every single person here is an example of a lost, sinful, broken person who is being made new by the renewing power of the gospel. Every single person here is an example of someone who is an enemy of God because of sin, but now has been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus. You can just share that with people. And one of the blessings of of being a part of a church that, that speaks the creeds every single week is we're practicing this all the time. That that we're reciting and remembering the faith that makes us who we are. We can just speak that to the world. Show that to the world. So claim that creed. Cling to that creed. Boldly confess that creed. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord over all things. And believe in your heart that just as God raised him from the dead... He also will raise you from the dead. And as you confess and you believe, may you have certainty that God will surely rescue you. And with that faith and and with the gift of the Spirit, go and, and live before the world. Let those deeds flow from your creed. And may you point the world to the place that we have found our rescue. Amen? Amen. Amen.